Austin, where are you at, buddy? <laughs> Trying to get his juice down. Come on up. <coughs> Let's see if I can get this turned on for you. Austin is going to be reading to you this morning from Isaiah chapter 54, and he's going to read verses 1 through 8. So Austin, whenever you're ready, go ahead. See, one who did not bear break forth into singing and, and cry aloud. You who have not been in... Labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and left and to the left and your offspring will possess the nation and will people the desolate cities fear not <coughs> For your, for you will not be ashamed, be not confused. For you will be not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and your reproach. Your of your widowhood, you will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, and the God of the whole earth, he is called, for the Lord has called you like, like a wife deserted and graved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off says your God for a brief moment I deserted you but with great passion I will gather you an overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but will everlasting love. I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer.
new teachers in this year. Oh, me, me already taught him. I'm sorry. <laughs> Amen. All right. So as I'm sure you could guess, we're going to be in Isaiah 54 this morning. Over the last few weeks, actually we've been in Isaiah for a while now. We've just been going through Isaiah and seeing um, uh, what the Lord has to say to us through it. And um, I've got one, buddy. Thank you. You can just set it right there, though, okay? We'll put it, put it up here in a minute. One of the things that um, we have focused on in the last few weeks is that Isaiah gives us so many revelations, if you will, into who the Messiah is going to be, into what He is going to do, and how He's going to save God's people from their sins. And so, as I've told you so many weeks before, there have been revelations of who this Messiah would be ever since the Garden of Eden, whenever God told Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman is going to rise up one day and crush the head of the serpent and crush the, um, the, the enemy's head. And so we've been seeing little by little about how God reveals how He's going to save His people. And through this uh, servant songs that we have been going through in the last few weeks, we have saw a few things like, for instance, we found out that God's Messiah is going to be a son that's going to be given to us. We found out that the Messiah is going to be Emmanuel, or He's going to be God actually with us. We found out that He is going to be the one that brings justice to all nations for God. But in the process of doing this, He's not going to finish breaking off bruised reeds. He's not going to extinguish barely burning wicks. And again, we saw those things um, um, all through the early chapters of Isaiah. But the point being is that He is going to bring justice. So He's going to right every wrong, but He's going to do it in a way that actually restores brokenness, that actually restores um, hurting hearts, and actually restores people that are hopeless, if you will. And so we have seen so many of these pictures of what He's going to be like. We've also seen that He is going to be given as a new covenant, as we talked about a few minutes ago. But we also seen that the way He's going to do that is He is actually going to come and live a life that fulfills everything in the old covenant. And so it's important that we understand that Jesus couldn't just come as a baby and then die as a baby and that would have been sufficient. No, we needed righteousness. The law of God had to be fulfilled. Justice had to be put into place. And the only way that could happen is if God's purpose for humanity is lived out through someone. Adam failed in it, and all of us who were born after Adam have failed. But the Son of God, the second Adam, comes and He lives a perfect life. And because of that, He fulfills everything the Old Covenant required. The Old Covenant said, don't do this and do this. Jesus came and He didn't do the things that were not pleasing to God and He did everything that was pleasing to God and He fulfilled it in every way. And because of that, all of the promises that God had made in the Old Covenant to Israel, now Jesus is the one that gets to claim all of those promises. He gets the kingdom. That God, He gets the land flowing with milk and honey. He gets the blessing of God. He gets everything that God promised in the Old Covenant to Israel. And this is the reason why the writers of the New Testament told us that all of the promises of God are yes and amen to those who are in Christ Jesus. So because you and I are in Him and He fulfilled the Old Covenant and He got all the promises, we to get to share in those promises that are rightfully His. And so now that He has fulfilled that, He now institutes a new covenant that all those that are in Him, because He pleased God in the old, all those that are in Him covered by His blood, they too are included in the promises of God. And so this is all that's been revealed by Isaiah in that. We have seen that He's going to be a light for those who sit in darkness, we have seen that He is going to do this through being a suffering substitute. 
We've seen that he's going to be crushed. He's going to be pierced, chastised, wounded, and killed ultimately because of our transgressions. And yet those who trust him are going to be forgiven, healed, and receive peace with God. This is that great exchange that we were talking about that takes place. And after his death, Isaiah 53 told us that he's going to live and that he is going to be given all the promises of God, including eternal life in God's kingdom that he will reign over and he will divide this reward with all those who belong to him. And again, you can find that at the end of Isaiah 53. So here's the point. The whole purpose of why we celebrate Christmas today is because of the fact the only way that he could do all of these things that we talked about is if he becomes flesh. This is why it's so beautiful when we read about this baby in the manger. It's not because we look at him as a child and go, oh, he was so cute. No, the truth of the matter is the Bible said he wasn't nothing to look upon. Uh, I, I hate to talk about my Lord and Savior like this because all I'm doing is repeating what the Bible says, okay? That's all I'm doing. But Jesus apparently was a baby that had a face that only a mother could love. I'm just saying, go back and read it for yourself. Uh, Isaiah 53 verse 2, look at it with me. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should desire him or that we should look at him. And he had no beauty that we should desire him. Now that's just the truth. All right, if you get mad at me because I'm talking about your sweet baby Jesus, I'm sorry. But that is the truth. Uh, he came in the lowest form possible. He came in the absolute uh, most humble form that he could come in. And he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. And because of that, the righteousness that he lived, God applies it to us. The sin that we deserve punishment for... God applies it to him, and this great exchange takes place. But it could not happen if it were not for Christmas. Are y'all tracking with me? This is why we celebrate the birth of Christ, because of what it leads to him doing. In um, Isaiah 54, basically what we have here is the focus uh, on the results of Christmas. So in Isaiah 53, we have this beautiful portrait of what he does because of Christmas. How he takes on flesh and blood. What he looks like. What he lives. How he does it. How he's rejected. And yet how he's accepted at the end by certain people in the world. And then by the time we get to Isaiah 54, the prophet moves into what we should do as a result and in response to what he has done. So what is the first word of Isaiah 54 verse 1? Sing. Here is your response to Christmas. We sing. We, we rejoice. We shout. Notice what he says in Isaiah 51, 54 verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry loud. So here we have this parallelism of um, um, Judaic poetry, if you will. And so... He says at the top of it, sing. And then at the second line, he repeats this in another way by saying, break forth into singing and cry aloud. And so the whole point of this is our response is that we are people who are like this barren woman. And we'll get into that here in just a few minutes. But he tells us that we are the ones that sit in darkness. We are the ones that needed to be delivered. We are the ones that deserve the punishment that he took. We are the ones that are still currently in bondage. Because think about it. The people he was talking to, that Isaiah was talking to in this time, are people who are still in bondage. And he's telling them, your salvation is coming. This is what I am going to do for you. And so what should you do while you are still currently in this dark world, while you are still currently sitting in your prison, if you will? And he says, here's what you do, you sing. You sing. Why? Because of what He has done for you. You sing. Now I want you to notice here in um, verse 1 that He gives us two pictures of what this looks like. He says here, first off, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. The first picture is He gives us a picture of a, a motherless or a childless mother, if you will. And so what we get here is that 
Israel, of course, was the one that was supposed to bring the world to know God, right? Remember what God told Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, right? And so the promise of God was supposed to come to Abraham and then uh, flow through him unto all the world. But instead, the Israelites became people that they were the only ones that had God, they were the only people of God, and everybody else was excluded. And they failed in bearing children for God. But in the same manner, what he's talking about here is the hopeless state of this people. For instance, do you remember in the book of 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 1 and chapter 2, where Hannah was at the altar praying? Anybody remember what she was praying for? She was pleading with God for a male child, a son. And the reason being is because ever since Genesis, God promised that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. They knew that the Savior, the Messiah, that's going to crush the enemy's head is going to come through the seed of a woman. So for a Jewish woman to not bear a child, this was great shame. This was great disgrace. She was not going to have the opportunity to be the one that would bring into the world the one that might save all of mankind. And for a Jewish woman to be barren, this was a shameful place for her to be. This was a disgraceful place for her to be. And even you here today, you women here today that, that may know what it feels like to, to not be able to bear a child. You know, there's something deep inside of you, right? That, that wants to be a mother. There's something deep inside of you that wants to give life, that wants to nurture life, that wants to cherish life. And so to not be able to do that many times feels like a hopeless place. Amen? It feels like a hopeless place. And so what he's saying here is you people that are in a place that seems to feel like a hopeless state, you need to sing. You need to sing out. You need to cry out aloud and rejoice aloud. Why? Because of what I have done for you and what I, the, the Savior of the world has done for you in Isaiah 53, what He has accomplished for you. You know, here's the thing we need to understand. Singing is something that um, God gave us that I think we don't really, we don't put enough emphasis on. But singing is, is a gift. Our God is a singing God. In uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, the Bible tells us that God actually rejoices and sings over us. Look at this. He says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, and He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. And look at verse 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let, your hand, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. And look what it says. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and He will quiet you by His love. And look what it says at the end. And He will exult over you with what? Loud singing. Your God is a singing God. And you were made in His image. Now I know I was talking to G this week and we were talking about this. I don't remember what brought us to, to singing. But G said, I follow more along those lines of a joyful noise than I do singing. And some of you may follow along that same line. But the point of it is this. You were created to be in the image of your God, your Maker. And your God is a singing God. Your God is a rejoicing God. Your God is an exulting God. And it says that He will exult over you and sing over you because He has destroyed your enemies, because He has delivered you from all of His judgments, because of the fact that He has saved you, He sings over you. And if God sings over you for your salvation, surely you and I ought to be singing over ours. Amen? And so God sings over us. God the Father sings over us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, the Bible tells us that the Son sings over us. Jesus sings over us. Look at this. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's Jesus, right? That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And look at what He says. And this is what Jesus says. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will what? I will sing your praise. Here again, the Father sings and exalts over you. The Son sings and exalts over you. And now we're going to see the Holy Spirit is also a singing spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be what? Filled with the Spirit. And what's that going to do? Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here's the point. If you're filled with the Spirit, it overflows in making melody with your heart, in singing and, and, um, and praising and addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Father is a singer. The Son is a singer. And the Spirit is a singer. And here we have the Bible commanding us now to join in together with them and sing with them. Uh, in Job chapter 38 verse 7, the Bible tells us that the angels all sang together and shouted together for joy when the, uh, when the creation was made. And so the angels are singers. Um, in uh, Paul and Silas, when they were in the Philippian prison, they, after being beaten, what did they do? They sang. They sang. Even in their mourning, they sang. Even in their, their hurting, they sang. And they sang praises to God. In, um, uh, when Mary was told that she was going to be pregnant with the baby, she sang. She sang a song. Whenever um, uh, people in the, the New Testament mourned, or, or even in the Old Testament, when they were mourning, they sang. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, and, and remember, here's what was happening. His son had died, or his daughter, I can't remember which one. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, you know why they were playing uh, flutes? And you know why they were singing? Because somebody had died and they were singing. And when Jesus came and he saw this, he actually says to them, don't, don't do that anymore because we're fixing to go in here and we're going to raise her up from the dead. And that's exactly what he does in the next verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. But anyway, the point being is no matter what kind of mood you were in, no matter what kind of setting you were in, we are singing people. God created us to sing. I can remember, any of you ever had a song or something in your life that when you were in a dark place or a tough time, there was something about a song that just helped you get through? Or, or there was something about a song that ministered to you during that time? I can tell you as a pastor, in my darkest times, and my wife will tell you this, she can tell you, if I'm ever in a dark place, um, I've got certain music that I just listen to over and over and over and over again. And it's always praise music. It's always songs of faith. It's always songs of absolute assurance in the faithfulness of God. And I sit there and I listen to them songs and I sing along with them songs. Whether I'm in joy or whether I'm in mourning, I sing. And the reason I sing is because of the hope that I have in Him. And that's exactly what Isaiah 54 is calling us to. Our response to Christmas this morning and what God has done for us is that we sing. And it may not always be exuberant, happy songs. It may be through tears and through a voice that's so shaky you can't even get nothing to come out. But you sing. And you sing. Why? Because I'm full of faith. Because I believe what Isaiah 53 said. Because I believe what God has promised He has done for me. Because I know that even though weeping may endure through the night, guess what comes in the morning? Joy is coming in the morning. And so he tells these people in Isaiah 54 that are sitting in this darkness, he says to them, we're going to sing. And why are we going to sing? Because that's what we do when we are full of hope. We sing. And so he gives us these two pictures, this first picture of this, this barren woman. And he wants them to know that this barren woman, she ain't going to be barren for long. She's not going to be hopeless for long. Look what she says in verse 1. She says, Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one are going to be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. 
Because He has borne our sorrows, because He has borne all of our griefs, all of those who are sitting in sorrow, that are sitting in hopelessness, that are sitting in darkness, because you are barren. And take this in a spiritual sense, okay? Not necessarily in a physical sense. It's just a picture that they could relate to very much. And so He says to those people, you're not going to be hopeless for much longer. You're not going to be without hope. But instead, there's going to be a light that shines in the midst of your darkness. And you're going to see this light, and you're going to rejoice in this light. And then he also gives us another picture of a, of a desolate, deserted, hopeless, sinful wife. Now, usually in this situation, a desolate woman or a desolate wife, and, and you read about that on further down in Isaiah 54, verse, um, verse 6, if you will. He said, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off. And so, here's the picture that you have. You have a woman, and in this day and time, again, they could understand this picture. In this day and time, a woman that had been cast off from her husband, she had no provider, she had no protector, she had no one to help sustain her in this world. Basically, she was in a very hopeless situation. And the truth of the matter is, if they had been given a bill of divorcement and she goes off and she commits adultery with someone else in the world, she is not allowed to come back to that husband because the husband will not take her back. And this is sort of the picture we get in Jeremiah. Look with me if you would at Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 1. And this is where God gives them, He says that He sort of gave them a bill of divorce. And He's just painting a picture for Israel. He says, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? And they knew this answer. The answer was no. He's not going to take her back. She has been defiled. She is, she is immoral. They, they are not going to take her back. She is hopeless, is the picture that he's painting. But look what he says here. Would not that land be greatly polluted? And so, no, he's not going to take her back. You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord. So in other words, should the Lord take this deserted, hopeless wife back? Let me put it in your terms. Should God take you as His own? No. We don't deserve that. I don't know about you. I don't. I know who I am. <laughs> See, you don't know who I am. You think you do, but you don't know me. But you know who knows me better than anybody? I know me, and God knows me. And let me tell you something, you're the same way. How many of you know your own heart? You know how evil you can be. You know who you are. You do not deserve to be made one with God. But look at what God does in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. So again, the answer to this was, no, you shouldn't be able to return. You shouldn't be able to come back. But instead, here's what he tells Jeremiah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, What? Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. So here we have these two pictures. Number one, a barren woman. Shamed, disgraced, bearing burdens. And he says... You are seeing. Why? Because there's hope. You're not going to be barren for long. Matter of fact, you need to enlarge your tent. You need to add on to your house because a big family is coming. And then he looks at this deserted woman and he says, you know, you don't deserve to come back. You don't deserve to be back. You've played the whore with so many. And yet, here's what I say to you. I have bore that burden for you. And so I say, come on back. Come on back. Come home. I'm not going to be angry with you forever. And so those are the pictures that we have. This is the same thing that happened in Hosea. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, look at what he says here. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Boy, don't that sound like a good life to live. You think your marriage is rough? Go take for yourself a wife who is a whore. Right. And then look what he says. And not only that, but have children of whoredom. 
By, and then it says, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So Hosea is a picture, right, of a husband that has a wife that will not stay true, right? And so once that wife is going out and playing the whore, what should Hosea do? Send her away. She ain't worth coming back. But that's not what happens. Look at Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go again. See, she's left. But he says, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And then look at verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer. Here's the thing about it. Here's the point. Hosea's wife went off and played the whore. And God says to him, go buy her back. That's his wife. She belongs to him. And God says, go redeem her. Go buy her back. Does she deserve it? No. But I want you to do it because this is a picture of what I'm going to do for you. You have played the whore. You do not deserve to be his wife. You do not deserve to come back home. You deserve to be deserted, desolate. You deserve to be barren. And yet, he says to you, return. Come home. Why? Because I have redeemed you. I have purchased you. I have paid the price that you owe to bring you back home. That's the gospel, y'all. That's the gospel. And so how do we respond to this? Go back with me to 54, Isaiah 54 verse 1 again. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. In other words, hope. There's hope. Here's what you need to do in verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. In other words, build a big house. Build a strong house because you ain't going to be hopeless for long. Make sure that you don't feel deserted and desolate for long because you're coming back home. I'm going to bring you back even though you don't deserve it. And then look at verse 3. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Remember, the barren woman was ashamed, right? Fear not. You're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to be ashamed. I'm going to remove this shame. Not only that, fear not. You're not going to be confounded. You're not going to be confused. You ever been confused in this old dark world that you sit in? You ever been in a situation where you said, God, this don't make sense. I don't understand. He says, don't fear. You're not going to be confused for long. You're not going to be ashamed for long. And you will not be disgraced. This is why you sing. Because He is going to remove all of your disgrace. He is going to remove all of your shame. And should you be ashamed? Yes, we should. Should you be disgraced? Yes, you should. Should you be confused? Yeah, you should. But he says here, I'm going to take it all away. I'm going to remove it. And look what's going to happen in verse 4. He says, You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. You're going to forget all of the shame of your barrenness, of your hopelessness. You're going to forget all of the reproach that came against you for being an adulterer, for being a whore against God. You are going to forget all of those things. You're not going to remember them anymore. And I love the way the Apostle Paul put this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us that day. In other words, Paul said, I'm not even going to remember the suffering one day. He said, I am not even going to remember the darkness that I endured, the shame and the reproach that I felt. All of that is going to be taken away. Why? Because of what the Lord has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then look what he says next. He says, the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23 through 26, the Apostle Paul said, even though right now you still remember your widowhood, even though now you still remember your hopelessness, look what he says. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What do we do? We groan 
inwardly. In other words, we're still in this suffering, right? But we have the first fruits of the Spirit. But we are saved, right? Yes, but we're still groaning, ain't we? We're still hurting. We groan inwardly as we wait. We, in other words, this is hope. Are we singing because everything is perfect now? Are, are you celebrating this morning because Christmas is everything you thought it would be? No. That's the truth of it. Right now you're groaning. Right now you're hurting. Right now you're still crying. Right now it still hurts. But you know what we do in the midst of that? We wait. We wait. How do we wait? We wait eagerly. And what are we waiting for? The adoption as sons. The day that He brings us in to be His and takes all of our confusion away, all of our disgrace away, all of our shame away. Anybody in here getting any of this this morning? And He says here that we are eagerly awaiting the adoption of sons and the redemption of these broken bodies. And look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Remember, you're saved by faith though, right? Well, what is faith? It's the full assurance of hope. Faith is when I have full assurance in the hope that God has given me that He is going to remove my shame, that He is going to remove my disgrace, that He is going to save me. And it is in this hope, this eager waiting, that we are saved. But look what he says next. Now hope that is seen is what? It's not hope. (laughs) In other words, if you had it in your hand right now, it wouldn't be hope. No, you're eagerly waiting for it. You're hoping for it. Because who hopes for what he sees? In other words, if you had it, it wouldn't be hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, what do we do? We wait for it. With what? Patience. Guys, this Christmas morning, you may not feel like celebrating. Can I get an amen on that? You may not feel like celebrating this morning. But let me tell you what you do have. You have hope. You have hope. You have hope, a light in the midst of darkness. That, he, that, that light came into the world and darkness did not overcome it. And so we wait for it with patience. And then what do we do, God, while we're waiting for it? Well, look at Romans 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in what? Our weaknesses. How many of you know it's hard to wait? It's hard to hope, ain't it? He says, I give you something. I gave you something that's going to help you through it. The Spirit, the first fruits. Trust Him. Well, how does He help us? Well, we don't even know how we ought to pray as we ought to. You ever been there before? You don't even know how to pray. He says here, but the Spirit Himself does what? He intercedes for us. There's something inside of you right now that whenever you don't even know how to pray in your darkness and in your shame, there's something inside of you that the Bible says intercedes for us. And He does it with groanings. Y'all know what groanings are, don't you? (sighs) He does it with groanings that are too deep for words. In other words, you don't even have to have words in your darkness. You don't even have to have words in your shame. The Spirit intercedes for you with groanings that are too deep for words. Words can't find it. And then look at verse 27. Actually, I didn't give him that. I'm sorry. Let me get back to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, go back with me to verse 5 now. We're going to see what we have next. He says, Sing, for your maker is your husband. In other words, he is now one with you. That's what it means to be a husband and a wife. It means the two flesh, they were two, but now they are one. And so, your maker is your husband. And then he says here, The Lord of hosts is his name, or Yahweh of hosts is his name. The great I am is His name. The one that created everything is His name. That ought to give you reason to sing because that's the one who's become one with you. Even though you were barren, even though you were a deserted um, adulterer and didn't deserve it, yet He called you home. And then look what He says next in verse 5. He says, And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Here we see the picture of the one that saved Israel from, with a strong and mighty arm from Egypt and parted the Red Sea and he uh, brought water from the rock and manna from heaven and all that the Holy One of Israel has done with his strength and power. 
He is the one that has called you. And if He can part red seas, and He can bring manna from heaven, and water from a rock, if He can do all of those things, all the plagues that He did in Egypt, if He can do that, you don't think He can save you? He's the one who has called you. And then how did He do it? He says here in verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you. For a brief moment God gave you over to your ways. You understand that? Romans chapter 1 says, Because we did not want to retain God in our knowledge, God gave us over to debased minds to do those things which are not fitting. We all have been given over to minds and hearts that do what our sinful selves want to do. And for a brief moment, He deserted you. But look what He says next. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. You catch that? He says, yes, I used to be angry with you. And as a wife that left her husband and and, uh, played the whore and did everything in this world other than serve the Maker who created you, you deserve to be deserted. You deserve for His anger. Yet, He says here that now, He said, my anger, it's been turned into everlasting love. And even though I overflowed in that anger for a moment, and even though I hid my face for you for a moment, I have called you now, and with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. And you say, well, what if I mess up again, preacher? What if, I, what if I sin again? And what if I, I fall into the world again? And what if I go play the whore again? Go read Hosea again. See how many times she went out and he had to go get her back. And God gave this as a picture of what He does for you and me. And then for another example, look what He gives us in verse 9 of Isaiah 54. He says, this is like the days of Noah to me. Anybody remember what happened in the days of Noah? God was angry, right? He was angry. And He was going to judge the world. And His anger was going to overflow on them. Now look what he says. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Somebody try to fight with me this morning that thinks you can lose your salvation. I wish you would. Because I want to tell you right now, he just, he just told us very plainly in the same way when He told Noah, Never again will I let my anger flow over, flow over this in the same way. He says, In the same way, because I have took my anger out. The waters of Noah were what He did in Isaiah 53 when His judgment washed over the Lord Jesus Christ for you and I. And after that judgment was complete, the same way He looked at Noah and said, I won't ever do it again. Now when we're called to Him and He redeems us, He looks at you and He says, I won't ever do it again. In other words, it is finished. It is paid. It is complete. And for those that put their faith and their trust in Him, even though He was angry for a time, from now on, I will love you with everlasting love. I will have everlasting compassion on you. And this is the promise of God. And so again, you see all the reasons why we should sing. God can't lie. And if God says to you that even though you were a barren woman, a deserted whore, even though all those things were true, I called you, I redeemed you. Who are you, God? I'm the Lord of hosts is who I am. I'm the Holy One of Israel. I am your maker. That's who I am. So I love you with an everlasting love. And that ought to make you sing. And then look what he says next in verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Let me read that again in case you missed it. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Ain't you glad that even though we are wretched sinners, when we trust in the Lord Jesus and we follow Him, 
Now, I'm not saying we're not changed because somebody that says they have put their faith and trust in Jesus and somebody that says they have been born again and there is never any change in their life, no, that's not what happens. I, I want to say to you this morning, those that are born again and put their faith and trust in Jesus, God says to you this morning, my covenant of peace will not be removed and I will have compassion on you. It will never stop. It's not going to depart from you. This is the promise that the Lord makes. And this is the heritage that belongs to you. Go to verse 17 with me of Isaiah 54 and I'll come to a close here. Notice what he says in verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. You know whose tongue that would be? The great accuser. Always standing before the God. Say, always standing before Him saying, um, uh, You ought not forgive, Kevin. He ain't worth it. You, look at him. He's just out there sinning again. Look what he's done and always accusing. And God says, God says, who's going to bring a charge against somebody that I have already justified? God says, who, who can even bring a charge against somebody that I've already paid for it? I have declared him not guilty. And because of that, what judgment will ever be brought against you? What weapon will ever be formed against you? Paul said, and this is what Paul was preaching when he wrote Romans chapter 8. He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Nothing can separate you. And that's something to sing about. And then look at the way he ends, verse 17. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. <laughs> Sound good to you? Sound like something maybe you'd like to have? Look what he says next in, verse, in chapter 55, verse 1. So we sing because this is our heritage. Now, what do we do about this heritage? If I, if I want this heritage, look what he says in 55, verse 1. Come everyone who what? Thirst. In other words, does this sound like good water to you? This sound like something you'd want to get a drink of? This sound like something that you want to have as your heritage? We says here, come, everyone who thirsts. If it sounds good to you, it's only possible because of what he did in 53, right? And then we sing about it in 54 because that's what our heritage is now. And then in 55, he gives an invitation. If this sounds good to you and you want that, then I say to you, come. And look what he says next. If you thirst, come to the waters. He who has no money, how much does it cost? Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfy? Listen diligently. Here's the plan of salvation right here. You say, God, what do I do this morning? How do I make this heritage my heritage? I want this salvation. I want this hope. I want to be able to, to sing and rejoice in what you have done for me. How do I do that? He says in verse 2, he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. In other words, how do we get it? Well, what does faith come by? Faith comes by hearing. He says, here's how you get it. You hear the gospel. And when you hear the gospel, you say, God, I trust the gospel. I believe the gospel. And I proclaim the gospel. And so he says here, listen to the gospel. Incline your ear here and I will make this covenant with you. And then look at verse 6. And this is where the closing comes in. Seek the Lord while He may be found. In other words, you better do this soon. Why? He's coming back and He may not be found forever. So seek the Lord while it is found. Guys, this Christmas morning I close to you by saying this. We are sinners. And we deserve the wrath that Jesus took on Him. And if you do not come and believe the gospel, then you are going to pay that payment for an eternity on your own. That's the truth. And so He says to you, Seek the Lord while He may be found. And then look what He says next. Call upon Him while He is near. Because the Bible says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? shall be saved. And then you say, okay, well all we do is call on Him. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked what? No. When we call upon Him and we recognize our sin, we turn from it. We repent. 
Let the wicked forsake his way, and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and return to our God. Why? For he will abundantly pardon. This is a beautiful picture in Isaiah of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, he takes our punishment for us. In Isaiah 54, we sing as we believe. In Isaiah 55, he extends it to everybody. If this sounds good to you, and you know you're a wretch, and you know who you are, and you know where you will stand if you stand before Him, and you know the punishment that you will receive, then I say to you this morning, if you desire salvation, and you are thirsty for peace with God, then I say to you, come, come all who thirst, and buy this salvation without money and without price. How do I do that? Hear the gospel. And then what? Believe the gospel. And then what? Repent of your sins. And then what? Trust the Lord that He will have compassion on you and that He will abundantly pardon all of your sins. And all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel. So I simply close this morning by asking you, this Christmas morning, do you have a reason to celebrate? Do you have a reason to sing? And if you don't, if you know that you are not saved, you know that if you stood before God today without Jesus Christ and your faith in Him, you know where you would be. Then I want to tell you this morning, there is no greater gift that you will receive on Christmas Day than the one that God offers you right now.